0: Shuckin' confusing. In honor of Maze Runner, what puzzling movie only made sense the second, third, fourth, etc. time you watched it?
1: I'm Matt Patches and I'm going to go with Syriana because my teenage brain could not wrap its mind around petroleum politics and George Clooney with a beard.
2: My name's Joanna Robinson. I'm going to go with Wet Hot American Summer because this is basically true of all of David Wayne's comedies. I have to watch them at least three or four times before I actually get the comedy of it, so. Hey,
0: it's me, Dave with a 7. Because I picked Jeremy Renner in Mission Impossible last week, let's go back to the Brian De Palma original. Bible code, Mole Hunt. Ethan Hunt. Also, I was 12.
3: Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm very confused by what just happened. And I'm going to go with uh, my perennial favorite of this sort of answer on this show, The Great Gatsby by Baz Lurman. <laughs> <laughs> Toast. <laughs> Toast. <laughs>
0: Toast
1: Hello, welcome to Fighting in the War Room number 40 for Tuesday, September 16th, 2014. I don't know where to begin, everybody. The death of adulthood. It's on everyone's mind this week uh, because of a huge essay that uh, A.O. Scott of the New York Times ran uh, uh, late last week, I believe on Thursday. Um, We've finally taken the time to mull it over and form... Very coherent responses to this uh, extensive essay about um, childhood ephemera, perhaps, YA fiction, um, these rabble-rousers in comedy that love to play slackers and losers and all that nonsense. Why don't they just grow up? What happened to adults? Get off my lawn, is how A.O. Scott ends that essay. Um, I, I, I immediately turn this to you guys because I had some conflicted feelings about this. I think a lot of these points we have actually discussed on this podcast before. Um, we've we've we're not we're not that old, so we can't be true cranks saying get off our lawn. But we may be dismayed by the kind of pervase of pervasion of, of young adult entertainment into culture these days. Um, but but for some reason. A.O. Scott's essay also struck me in a weird way. Like I didn't really understand what he's chasing here. What's the big point? Why is this the death of adulthood? Are we at, is this something that we should be alarmed about? Um, Joanna, you you had some serious thoughts on this. I'm pointing to you.
2: Oh with very, the, the
1: talking stick is pointing at you. Very, very
0: serious. Okay,
2: thoughts. Con, con, con <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um well, two things. First of all, what I've the conclusion I've come to is it's really EOS got bemoaning the death of the patriarchy wrapped in some sort of disingenuous caveats about how of course this is a sign of progress and of course it has to happen but I think his overall statement is that does it have to happen and is is it a net positive or is it a net negative uh, but the question I want to ask you guys and I actually kind of know the answers from Dave and patches is, you know what childish thing do you feel like going to bat for against what A.O. Scott says? And so I'm mostly interested in what David Ehrlich has to say. Are there is there like a quote unquote? Joanna
1: knows our answers because we <laughs> all three of us do a podcast about a Nickelodeon cartoon. cartoon. So if anyone's which, clinging to childhood. Well, you know, which oh. we
2: find political and spiritual meaning in. But like absolutely,
1: so- and and I think the difference there would be that we're not you know uh, pushing our childhoods. On to today's kids, or we're not keeping them alive. This is this is something fresh. This is something new. This is developed for kids today. That's being enjoyed by kids today. It's being enjoyed by parents today. If if you can't enjoy what young people enjoy, I mean, I, that's what I don't really understand. If I you mentioned off podcast about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, how this has been revived over and over and over again, and it's kind of old 30-something, 40-something people who enjoyed it the first time kind of clinging to that. And I don't see our interest in something like The Legend of Korra, which currently runs on Nickelodeon.com. Um, <laughs> As being the same. the same thing.
2: Well, which, I, I think, yeah. This is new. I think that nostalgia thing comes into play anytime you go see a movie and say, who was this for exactly? When it doesn't feel like it was made for the kids you know who are well, our problem age when with teenage, superhero movies mo- today. yeah when that came out so it's appealing to us adults or the, our childish side but i'm still interested in, in if david ehrlich has a, a childish property that he wants to defend well
3: for one thing i'm i'm touched that something in this article has catalyzed me being promoted from ehrlich to david <laughs> ehrlich, <a> full name house <laughs> is a big moment for me um i i have to say that the one part i, I always got to say here i think is long and rambling and there's um yeah, I'm not entirely sure, at least on first blush, and I only read it once, if it all adds up, if it all sort of funnels into the same point, and if it all needs to be there. But little bits and pieces jumped out at me. Uh, the one that registered me most is when he says um, that as he looks at the vulnerable patriarchs lumbering across the screens to die, we can see that to be an American adult has always, to be, always been to be a symbolic figure in somebody else's coming-of-age story. And I think that, and then he says, that's no way to live. But I think there's some truth to that. I think that our conceptions of adulthood as they exist in our popular culture um, are never, I mean, they're sort of things that characters begrudgingly age into, particularly male characters and a lot of these man-child narratives. But I think more often than not, these are supporting characters who are um, seen as others, who are seen as being irrevocably adult and not able to... Uh, and, and sort of just in a way that helps the other person find equilibrium or stay young and, and occasionally you have movies that are designed to rebut that you have usually they all star Bill Murray uh, I haven't seen St. Vincent but my impression <laughs> is that you know it, it falls into that line of movies about uh, old people rediscovering their their childlike zeal and and maybe you're sure but off also adulthood. becoming like an adult because thing. of that somehow fine. Um, but I think that what he's he's saying is is right in that sense and that like adulthood has always been um, this sort of othered state and, and something that I think our culture is reacting to now in a way that it didn't used to where it has in, embraced that it's seen through that and um, now it's very rare that you find at least a movie that um, – That embraces a true adult as its lead, and for whatever reason, this may not be the best example by any means. But the first movie that jumped to mind was uh, *Sideways*. Um, I think of Paul Giamatti's character as as uh, you know struggling, and he he is not particularly mature at all times. um, Though he might be the most mature male in that movie, but he uh, he he strikes me as a rare adult character in movies for adults. And I think you know um, the wedge that. And this is part of what A.O. Scott's been moaning when he, you know, talking about uh, that article that cited YA fiction and whatnot. Is that the wedge between sort of a lot of I there, there's there's a weird thing that happens with movies because it's one of the few popular media where um, the art the, like art house seems like a legitimate thing where there's a wedge between that and what's seen as commercial fare, um, and there there's you know the same sites, the same outlets, the same media. Covers them ostensibly, even though, of course, you know they're they're the slash films versus like the reverse shots and the the art forums, um, and you know never the twain should meet, but sometimes they do, and it's uh, it's strange in that way, and but the wedge between wait, what are you? I'm
2: sorry, you're saying that film is unique I, in that way.
3: That not unique, but it's more. It's more centralized, I think, because uh, mm-hmm. installation film is seen as so much, like, far more field than like indie music, for example, um, or even noise music. But what I'm trying to get at is the idea that now The Wedge seems to be more about movies that are made for the public and movies that are made for adults. It's so often when you have a movie like Love is Strange comes out, people will be like, finally, a movie for adults. And uh, as... As problematic as that might be, as a whole, to say, uh, there is a lot of truth to that, and how rare it is to to tell a movie that doesn't feel like it's tapping into this impulse of recapturing the sense of childhood. That's actually telling an adult adult story, starring adults for adults, um, and that feels like something of an event. And more often than not, they're far in their films like Ida. Um, and, but that's and so... why, I
1: like calling out the Apato regime uh, or those films as and calling them like a deevolution of Lenny Bruce, for instance, um, feels kind of misguided because, to me, those films are speaking to adults in a way that's broader than something like Love is Strange, but more so than uh, Jack and Jill in the Adam Sandler (laughs) films
2: or something. (laughs) And, I mean, I was thinking about, you know, when A.O. Scott was, you know, I don't quite know how old he is, but when A.O. Scott was a younger man, like, what was the adult film scene like? And I'm wondering... You know, the, the, the hallmark of comedy in the seventies is Woody Allen, but isn't that a childish man's vision? Animal house. You know, and yeah, an animal house and stuff like that. I mean, I feel like the childish male vision has always been there and female to a certain extent. Uh, you know, Uh, when they first let us start speaking or whatever, but like, uh, has, has always been there. And, and to say it's new is to just show your own age, I think. It's to show your lack of relevancy.
0: I think yeah. that... I, I think what it is is sort of a, a combination of two different things. One is that David sort of hit on when he talked about like movies for adults versus movies for everybody. Is that like in a post-internet age with the diversification of all media that we get like these popular culture magnets that kind of have to be dumb to be catch-alls. You know, if you're going to invest millions and millions of dollars and you know eight movies a year all those eight movies better make a big enough splash but like the indie scene can still turn out certain things we get smaller movies that investigate adulthood and generationism like i don't know nebraska name name an interesting movie that has adult themes i'm sure they're exist out there there's not the huge oh, adult blockbusters. they
3: they identify which movies have those um, the MPAA does different thing the, boyhood boyhood for instance, I think, rated
0: R I think the second thing is that this is sort of like a misinterpretation of what comes after culturally we uh, revel in an antihero because if you think about what American culture is going to serve up as an antihero it's going to be a white male because they're the people making choices that we're like, oh, it's horrible, but he's doing this for his family. He's doing this for, you know, his group or like he wants to make meth to, you know, make sure his kids go to college, that sort of thing. And so seeing those stories sort of fade out because we got tired of them, the new narrative that steps in is going to seem anti-patriarchy and anti-white. It That might just be my reading of this article, but at least anti-patriarchy. Because it is just so different in reaction to this cultural thing we're seeing the decline of. So I don't think it's necessarily we're not seeing, we're just not seeing the old adulthood anymore. I think like the Apatow adulthood is adulthood because it's people uh, grasping with the fact that this adulthood that's been othered for them, they're now becoming it whether they like it or not. And the reaction is to treat it childishly.
3: I think what's interesting and, and, you know, sort of difficult about this article is that it's essentially an article about how he's having trouble arriving at uh, a clear thesis. I mean, he's saying that that he ultimately argues that this idea of, uh, you know, youthful self-invention and sort of perpetual childhood is not entirely bad and that, you know, people are able to define themselves and shape their own identities and these are all, uh, seem to be positive things, but he still feels a loss for something. He still feels, um, and, and, you know, he does his best to say that it has nothing to do with whiteness and the patriarchy, et cetera, but he's saying that there's still that, that sting. I mean, it all comes back to that, that sting you get when you see adults reading the Hunger Games uh, on the subway and and know all the great things that they're not reading. I I wish
1: that he would come to a conclusion though that that maybe is not that
0: bad. I totally
3: agree.
2: Yeah, what is that sting? And that that really bothers me. They're reading. Isn't that the No, 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 but that's a low bar, Dave. What I'm saying is you might see me read Hunger Games on the subway, but you don't know what I'm reading tomorrow, you know, and I think that there are plenty of Hunger Games
3: part four. No!
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I love literary fiction, but that doesn't mean I don't like genre fiction. And if you see some person reading genre fiction, that doesn't mean that they're not a intellectually engaging with that um, I don't think the Hunger Games are great books, but I read them because I wanted to be part of the conversation. And it's also always and interesting. And you want to comment on them? Yeah. It's Culturally, always interesting in... to break down a story and 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 try to analyze why this story is so popular with people. What are the It wasn't beats? pumped out
1: of a machine? You know? someone made it. This There's a, still something to discuss.
3: You in know? conclusion, this is what e-readers are for, <laughs> and that's why yeah, I judge people. we like people who read Fifty Shades Gray or whatever on the subway <laughs> on the giant bound book. <laughs> I'm like,
1: hey, that's for adults. Why isn't that part? That's of the adult content. No, someone go is, after this that crap is adult most certainly fiction. Certainly not for adults. Um, well, to, to seriously wrap up, I, David, I think you make an astute point that if this essay is all about not really knowing what his point is, and you know, in, at some instance, uh, and I didn't really enjoy the fact that he kind of gave. Uh, female comedians reprieve, uh, like something like Broad City, where it's like, okay, well, the men are being childish and um, immature and uh, slobs, and but women can do that now because it's, it's progressive. They haven't had that chance. I like Broad City, and it's, it has nothing to do with the quality of the comedy. I just think it's interesting to give it a reprieve if his problem is all about these kind of step backwards and living in childhood. Um, but as you put it, if this is all about you know, wrestling with the idea, not really knowing if who who he can give a pass to or what he should give a pass to. Then maybe uh, the death of adulthood is a successful essay. I wish it could have narrowed in a little more, but um, I think uh, we're going to keep podcasting about Korra at some point. So we're going to be children. Forever.
0: Blame it on the kids.
1: <laughs> Unwed mothers from broken
0: homes. Blame it on the kids. Riot at the draft board. Blame it on the kids old drunk beats his wife up. <laughs> Why not? Blame it on his kids. Blame the kids for acid. Blame the kids for pot. Define find the word disaster some kid like is not. Blame the kids for hippies and for bummer trips and for dropping out and turning on and on and on and on
1: blame the kids in mostly irrelevant news um this past weekend was the 200th anniversary of the star spangled banner uh written by francis scott key which you'd think that that would not be the uh anniversary that we are heralding it was you think that would not be the
0: topic that we would cover for a mini segment
1: yeah it was adopted oh well that's very true. But uh, in lesser truths, it was adopted by Woodrow Wilson in 1916. So you think that would be the anniversary that we celebrate. But no, we're celebrating the 200th anniversary of the Star-Spangled Banner in 2014. And I, I have a problem with the Star-Spangled Banner. And this is someone who spent every Friday night in high school at the football games singing the Star-Spangled Banner. So I'm very knowledgeable on this topic and total geek. Um, I don't like the song, and I think we need a new one. The Star-Spangled Banner sounds... Very British, and there's a reason for that. It was written, it was composed by a British composer, John
0: Stafford Smith. It's based on
1: an old song.
0: I was not aware this was the argument. It sounds too British.
1: Well, there's two things here, two points. It Sounds <laughs> very British because it was written by a British composer.
3: Uh-huh, His point yeah, is that twofold. Makes, how, that makes sense. How does it sound? British? How do you? Have any no, no, idea no, no, What? Okay. It's
0: like it's like how you could tell goat's milk from cow's milk. What okay. do you? What do you mean? How do I? How no, do no, I wait, know
3: wait, If it sounds let him, British,
0: let him finish before we we, we pile did, on that
3: first. What one. did American sound like in that time? Years ago.
1: Well, I'm saying he re- he wrote it. Uh, he wrote it in the 1700s mm-hmm. in Britain, so it has that style. Anyway, mm-hmm. let me. this is a mini-segment. I don't have much time. Also, yeah. no one can sing it. You cannot sing the Star Spangled Banger, Banner unless you, you have some training. You said that so twice never, now,
2: so I'm just going to say really quickly, if we do do an update, it's got to be called the Star Spangled Banger. Star
1: Spangled Banner. Bang, Hulk <laughs> Star, Banner. Star Bruce Spangled Bruce Banner. Bangers. Yeah. Um, with a Z with a at the end. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Do, have you ever gone to a place where everyone sings the Star Spangled Banner together? I yes.
2: I sang the Star Spangled Banner at a at a giant San Francisco Giants baseball game when I was in college. You did. I I did.
1: Oh, with your like uh, with, your acapella group. Uh, cor- correct. With, with your with, jazz hands. And with your my flea. acapella group,
2: that is absolutely correct. Uh, that being said, no one knows the uh, extra verses. No one in the world you never have them. to
1: sing them they're never true. they're never mentioned. I, I always think about like college fight songs they're they're so fun, everyone knows them, and you really get into it and you can sing a great song and like be united um and oddly enough, when I was at Toronto, I was at the midnight screening of Tusk and Kevin Smith programmed the pre screening music right and right before the movie kicked in, they he played o Canada, and everyone in the theater. Except me, because I'm not Canadian. Um, Well, I got up, and everyone got up, and they all sang Oh Canada together, because they all knew the words, and it's in a vocal range, and everyone Canada can kind of mumble uh, together.
3: Look, 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 look do you want to just... Uh, land, keep okay, wait, hey, wait. See, you need to
1: no, know that! This is, <laughs> well, yeah. you watch a lot of cockies, so that probably exactly. helps. Do you,
0: want, do you just want Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes to be our fucking national anthem? Everyone I don't could know. mumble it. That's the thing. What? Well, that's actually Why the other thing. Why should that thing. be... Look, like, what's more American than attempting to sing something that's out of your range well, in front of a whole bunch of people? That's, <laughs> a, that that's a great... That's one of my
2: favorite... Eddie Izzard routines where he talks about (laughs) everyone like making up the lyrics too. But you just have to sing it loudly and proudly. And that's sort of what America is all about. Just being louder than the person next to you even if you're wrong.
1: We need a sound of America. Like if you listen to the French uh, national anthem. It's very much a revolutionary song. It's French Revolution. It is Les Misérables, you know, Please. or the German uh, national anthem is this march. I mean, it's a little scary Nazi march, but it's still a march. It's Patches. great. Can and I Japan is ethereal. We need is, something American. Is there
3: anything more American than importing an inferior product <laughs> made by someone in another country? <laughs> I think this is the truest. Anthem. We could maybe it needs to be have. more plastique.
0: Maybe the longer we hold on to it, the more it becomes so fitting to be exactly what it is. Now, if every,
2: I, now I If every
1: performance could be auto tuned, then it would be. I American. sort of
2: regret uh, the fact that our lighting round question wasn't like, "What modern song would you want to be the new national anthem?" Well, now instead.
1: we have it for next week. Hello. This week sees the release of Tusk, the latest film from Kevin Smith, uh, a kind of body horror comedy based on a premise he came up with on one of his podcasts. Dave, do you have any idea which one? Or
0: You assume that I listen to all the Kevin Smith podcasts?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um... Let's gloss over that point. Uh, so, yes, he, he came up with this. I think he improvised the story of Tusk on his uh, podcast and got all of his fans to vote if he should make a movie out of it.
3: And they did. So, here oh, is Tusk. Great. trust Trust creative decisions to Kevin Smith's fans. Uh, yes. The worst thing, the only thing worse than trusting them to Kevin Smith I'm sorry. himself. Hashtag
1: walrus, yes. Oh, my god! <laughs> um, and I could not have been less excited for Tusk. Something happened to me over the years. I, I definitely was into Kevin Smith's films early on. Uh, I, I think yeah. Dogma Did something be... happen
2: to you, or did something happen to Kevin Smith?
1: Okay, so this is what I'm, I really want to hone in on, because I enjoyed Dogma quite a bit. I probably saw Dogma on Comedy Central for the first time, if I'm being completely honest. Oh, Went no. back and saw Clerks, saw Mallrats. Did not enjoy Chasing Amy, but... But move forward. Jay and Silent Bob is a silly movie. I enjoyed it, and then Jersey Girl. I think we all kind of turned a blind eye to that. That was the pivot point. I actually think Jersey Girl is one of his better movies. (laughs) Well, maybe we'll get there. Uh, But like, I don't think I even gave Clerks two the time of day, and I really kind of spiraled out of control. Zack and Miri Make a Porno in 2008 was a total blur. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I never saw that. Cop Out, I, I had to see. That's the first time I ever <laughs> um, interviewed Kevin Smith, and that was a total, you know, he thinks that movie's a disaster. And then Red State is when Kevin Smith became venomous in some ways. Uh, Red State is abhorrent. I hated it. Um, but obviously he was stretching. He was trying to make a different type of movie. This was not part of the view askew-verse as he uh, declared it eons ago, um, and, it, and it was just horrible—a um, um, total mishap. And so, now going Tusk. Into Tusk, going into Tusk, I couldn't be less uh, anticipating this film. I was not—I did not want to enjoy Tusk, and I really enjoyed Tusk. I'm surprised. Yes, um, it's a very funny film. It's a very personal movie. It's—it's. It's, I mean, uh, the main character played by Justin Long is a podcaster. <laughs> so that'll tell you something it's basically his uh autobiography but where he gets turned into a walrus after a few slices and dices so joanna based on what you just said uh after my rambling what 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 changed here did are you are people on board with this kind of like shift was there ever praise for kevin smith was he ever doing anything right or oh yeah and fooled and
2: no no uh, no i don't think this is a case of adulthood and childhood um I think, I mean, I'm I'm certain that his earlier films appealed to us more because we were younger, but what's true about Kevin Smith is he had in his films an outsider attitude. This sort of, I mean, there's the, the sort of smug um, boyish humor to it as well, but there was also this sort of spiky uh, you can't reject me, I reject you first attitude. And then Kevin Smith became part of the in crowd. And a lot of times when your currency is outsider um an outsider voice when you become too successful then it's really hard to write from that point of view and and i think that that would happen and and red state might have been a swing back in that direction just because he got rejected for being too mainstream and then he got angry but it's a but it's a less uh savory outsider it's less of an outsider that we can root for i think so i haven't seen i say that have not having seen tusk
0: I haven't seen Tusk either, but uh, it is he's like part of that entire group of the early 90s, the Robert Rodriguez's and the Quentin Tarantino's. Yeah, he who, definitely is, but I'm not sure why. Well, I mean, that's why I, I think if you look at those three people and you see how they aged, so they all came in with sort of outsider views. Uh, Rodriguez was able to do things on his shoestring budget. So was Kevin Smith, but he had like the sort of talky angle whereas rodriguez was coming in with el mariachi wasn't So wasn't like traditional the action. correct so he was shot it in black and white he put it on his credit cards he did it in his old you know stop in new jersey the quick stop and uh quentin tarantino was all about like i'm this video guy i know all the references and so i'm going to kind of do this like large pastiche of everything that i love with a serious you know gritty storyline and as they all aged both Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez decided to spin out of the system entirely while Tarantino reinvested in it to become sort of a prestige filmmaker but Robert Rodriguez went off and did Troublemaker Studios and made a ton of money in, making like 3D movies for kids that he even let his kids write for a little while and then uh, Robert Rodriguez's Smith...
2: kids wrote Spy Kids? No I think
0: no, they wrote oh. Shark, Sh- Shark Boy and Lava Girl Oh
2: my god
0: uh, and then uh, Kevin Smith went off and did this podcast Empire and then distributed Red State where he did like a and a after all the initial screenings, but tickets were like $80. And so the box office was all like weird and hard to track for a long period of time. Point being, those two guys never got to be insiders really, so they t- broke off and took their small group of people and made their own industries, whereas Quentin Tarantino just sort of, Made Wait, really good friends with talented people. Can we I think. just
3: talk more about how much Kevin Smith sucks? Like, why are we talking about all these other things? Well, that's what I, well, I, I want to know. So, did you have never appreciated <laughs> what he was doing in
1: Clerks or Mallrats? And there's there's, there's never been you, a day of let me tell you what stuff. I appreciate
3: about Kevin Smith, and these are two very real things. I know that sounds like the setup for a snide remark, but uh, sh- you should be ashamed of yourself for thinking as much. I you. I think that Kevin Smith's Oh, the show that he oversaw I don't know his credit the clerk's television show was they animated genius. yes yeah, yeah. It, was it, lasted, really good. it is towers over every film he's ever made. the second episode of the show was a clip show. <laughs> it was a clip show of uh the kind of thing that most se- shows run after like five or six seasons it was running the second episode <laughs> about the first episode <laughs> and it's still i can't even talk about it without laughing it's so funny um, it was written
1: by a seinfeld guy
3: which uh, is I mean, why I it's hysterical that. um as if you haven't seen that i definitely recommend you checking it out uh the other thing that i really appreciated kevin smith do and this is hard for me to admit because it's such a pure distillation of his persona which has always been, or at least until recently, was better than his films, uh, is the Evening with Kevin Smith DVD, the first one. <laughs> diminishing returns. He talks the about writing ones. Superman. Yeah, oh my god. He talks, he tells a story about being hired to write Superman with the producer from Wild Wild West, and it like it makes me cry. Oh, the spider uh, thing, I have a giant spider, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's really the cool. man, well. The whole Prince
0: story from that, that oh, DVD, yeah, yeah. too, is it excellent. It's
3: great. The man, uh, is charismatic as hell, he knows how to work a room. I've seen it happen live at, at a number of different comic cons, uh, and I will not take that away from him, uh, however. Uh, in the filmmaking world, he is a cancer. His movies, <laughs> his movies are unwatchable. Chasing Amy is something that I appreciated in high school, and then uh, in the past decade or so, I've been able to see how regressive its uh, gender politics yeah. are, and how you know just miserable an exercise in screenwriting is, other than a few you know, striking moments and pithy lines. Clerks is a terrible movie that I appreciate more for its. Uh, well, I don't necessarily appreciate what it did for the film community, but I acknowledge it. Uh, Clerks 2 is an abomination and a, a very, very important Wait, reminder. you just jumped 12 years. Whatever. We'll bounce around. And an important reminder that standing ovations at Cannes mean absolutely nothing. Red State is one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. Tux, Tux, Tusk, I haven't seen. Cop Out, Why Would I? What else? Dogma's good. Dogma's fine. Uh Dogma has some funny moments. So wait, why so what works about Dogma? I mean I also I saw
1: one of our colleagues call Mallrats the Mein Kampf of the Gamergate <laughs> yeah, generation. I that which like st- struck terror in my heart because I'm like, I kind of dug Mallrats when I saw it. You know, I still a quote Mallrats
0: it had the first, like, Stan Lee cameo of the Stan Lee cameo <laughs> yes. era, of people.
2: Michael I mean, it Ruger. has some
1: disgusting lines, and it's probably overly bro-y, bro-y. It would make my skin crawl today. I don't know. I, I haven't revisited the film, but I did. A really, schooner I mean, is I, a sailboat? I, Come on. I LOL'd at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and I, I think off podcast, when we were talking about this subject, I called Kevin Smith someone who could have been Mike Nichols. At some oh, point, who's just like talky and and not what? very artful, perhaps in all the camera work, but seems to have an idea about how to stage uh, comedy I, and. Two, I think you writing. are
3: seriously undervaluing Mike Nichols' skill with a camera.
1: <laughs> I no, of... I, I admit that I am. I'm just saying that Kevin Smith seems to have had that potential. And didn't push in the right direction going forward. And but I don't know how you take something like Dogma that's uh, so incendiary, it's so uh, prickly, and and has lots of ideas throwing around, and then you still have a shit monster. I mean, it, it is a crazy, crazy movie. Uh, and then go and do and become boring. What, what for what everything? No, but for everything you could
2: that, tell- that Kevin Smith does that irritates me. He does something that I really like and admire. Like I saw him at Sundance uh, promoting. The documentary "Small Town Gay Bar," which he produced, and he was very passionate. About, and maybe that's of me being like suckered into like his charisma cyclone or whatever. But I just thought he spoke very emotionally about that, and that was interesting to me. He also did this amazing podcast uh, last year called "Fat Man on Batman" about the new Superman, Man of Steel, and it's the most lucid and enjoyable analysis of that. Film. Joanna,
3: the, he's a <laughs> devil's fan. It doesn't matter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Argument invalidated. All right. <laughs> it's
3: inexcusable. His behavior is inexcusable. His whole this whole thing about film critics, I think we all should take personally because there's a direct affront on what we do. Um, yeah. it, it was, uh, you know. But I, a lot of people feel
1: that way. I, that is not just a well, Kevin Smith I, problem. I, He's just vocal about it yeah, more yeah, often. I want
0: to... I want to question David, since David seems to be the most dismissive of a filmmaker who seems to be creating his own audience. What is, uh, it seems like, okay, at the end of Dogma, Alanis Morissette closes the book on the Abusque universe, which sort of
3: hints to me. Oh my god, you've already fucking lost uh, me. I don't give a shit about any sort of Kevin Smith universe.
0: No, no, which hints to me that he's sort of done, and I think he has this huge, uh, you know, like... Uh, trough in his career where he does like Jane silent Bob strikes back through Zach and Mary make a porno where he's like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing right to like make money. And I applaud him for his red state Tusk era because he's making his own audience. It's literally no skin off my back. Well, I think what's interesting
1: about Red State is it still feels conventional. It's still trying to be. It's emulating
3: others. He's Wait, thinking how he's he, Tarantino. Well, how is he making his own audience? He's simply he's simply mining the audience that he made with the viewers' universe. Right, it's all but it. I mean,
0: but it's like we do, if we don't want to see Tusk, we don't have to, and Tusk might do fine just because he motivates enough people to see it or markets it in a certain way. And I don't think that's something necessarily to discourage, even if he's not talented, because the zero-sum game is nothing. Well, Look, it, I, it, I, you would
1: do discourage it if you're someone like David who th- sees people being, like, plagued by Kevin Smith. And, and like, they're he, Kevin Smith is the tripod, and he's capping them into zombies. Uh, <laughs> you, you want them to escape his pull. But Red State, I think was artistically ambitious. I I would give him a little credit for trying something new, but I think his problem has always been emulating others in the post-Dogma world. I don't know what happened after Dogma. He just... It it was about... I don't think he
0: wanted to make movies anymore. Well, I
1: think he wanted to fit into the business he was in and then started... Considering himself more of an artist or the best at what he did and became and was like give me more money to do this I am an auteur and he lost his mind, so he started Copying other people like I mean red state is this grindhouse movie after after this wave of faux grindhouse Tarantino and Rodriguez to bring it back to them Uh, He's still copying other people and that's what I like about Tusk Tusk is very idiosyncratic. It has no form, and it is a series of conversations. And again, indulges too heavily on on Michael Parks just babbling on about being, you know, a seafarer and being obsessed with walruses. And, but it's so odd, and it's so it feels so personal. It's definitely his sweetest film, his most biographical, and just downright odd. Like coming up with, it feels like an improv sketch well, uh, in the well, positive you know, way. I, I his most
0: do, biographical. Yeah. After clerks,
1: yes. Okay, after clerks, probably. Okay, I, I, to, I will uh, say a biographical of the now.
3: I do want to give him full credit for making these different kinds of movies. Even cop out. I mean, who would have thought that Kevin Smith had a cop movie in him? It turns he out he doesn't. Yeah. Right, but uh, <laughs> hey, but I he might got have a
1: Marvin Hamlish uh,
3: <laughs> to score. Listen, I can't. I can't bemoan. Harold Faltermeyer. I can't bemoan the the creative bankruptcy in the in Hollywood and, and you know, turn around and say, like, fuck you, Kevin Smith, for making different kinds of movies and, and reaching out of your wheelhouse. All those movies happen to be unwatchable, bordering, wrong, bordering on offensive, and it's disgusting to see people go to bat for them. But I still admire the fact that he is uh, trying to do that. I admire the fact that he is um, enough of a rack on tour and rolling with the times to create this podcast empire. I mean, it was pretty remarkable to... The, I, with one eye watch that happen and you know on a personal note i still uh <laughs> my one sort of passing interaction with kevin smith is when uh happened when i was asleep he came into my room no uh it was what that that part's true not the came into my room part but the sleeping part was when i uh he had a hulu show oh yeah and about and t-
1: reviewing movies right the right, right
0: way
3: Right, and uh, he had a segment on it called Criterion Corner, which is a non-proprietary thing that I have, you know, that I don't update nearly as much as I should these days, but where I write about Criterion movies. And a bunch of people came to my defense and tweeted at him, and they're like, there already is a Criterion Corner thing. Be, it, You know, it's the most obvious name for that kind of segment you could possibly think of, and that's my fault as well as his. But he very graciously relented and of course that show ceased to exist like five minutes later (laughs) but uh, whatever Uh, I'll give him credit for that I don't think he's a terrible person I think but I just I like what I I just judging the man here
1: we're judging the
3: filmmaker it's like sting you know as they say in Zoolander the fact do I listen to his music no but the fact that he's out there making it I respect that I really like sting
1: (laughs) (laughs) you don't like desert rose
0: (laughs) it's like they say about sting I'm, I'm more on that side it's just it's, you
1: were in an a cappella group
0: <laughs> um no there, Sorry, there's what? always a part of me that's gonna look at those like early miramax filmmakers as like the people that the last people that the last independent people that really got a shot at the big time and got to call their own shots like i'm gonna make this kind of movie whereas now it's like if you make one independent movie like your biggest hope to make the most money is to like direct a Batman down the line. So it's it's always... I'm not going to feel bad for even Robert Rodriguez, who I really should feel bad for at this point. But any of them, for attempting to not fade into obscurity like they logically should. We
1: never got that Kevin Smith Green Hornet movie.
3: And I think, of course, it's interesting that to see so many... You know, I don't want to give Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith too much credit, but it's really interesting to see... So many of today's most exciting independent filmmakers cribbing a lot from, I mean, they would, they are of course cribbing a little bit more directly from uh, people like Eric Romer and, um, you know, uh, uh, John Cassavetes, et cetera. But there's a lot of Kevin Smith in there. And I think that he proved more than anything that it was viable to do for younger. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to to almost play devil's advocate here. But uh, (laughs) without Kevin Smith, would there be Mumblecore? Would we have Greta Gerway?
0: What it it sounds like (laughs) is almost... Think about it. I mean, like a lesser Woody Allen complex where it's like, oh, he kind of earned his chance to try a little while back, so we'll kind of look the other way if his tries are really horrible.
1: Well, I think Tusk is a highlight, um, but the unfortunate thing and why I'm not anticipating his next film is because Yoga Hosers... Which is the name of the next movie he's shooting right now? Which apparently has no, Haley Joel Osment no, as a not. Nazi, which has been filming in Toronto. There were a ton of like paparazzi shots. Did of you it. did you get this from a Mad Lib? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no wait. yoga hoser's he, Wait, get this. The uh, uh, yeah, people his, making fun of how Haley too. Joel Osment looks in the Kevin photos. Smith's daughter and Johnny Depp's daughter yeah. appear in Tusk as like basically the clerks gang. <laughs> And they're going to get their own movie in Yoga Hosers.
2: Oh, Yoga Hosers is that movie. And Johnny Depp's going to be in it too, right?
1: Well, Johnny Depp, I mean, this is out there, but Johnny Depp is in Tusk. Whoa, spoiler. He has a major role. How
0: dare you? (laughs) Um <laughs> is it like 2021 20, Jump Street all over again? It
1: kind of is. Spoilers for that movie. I I uh, that is it, it's not a spoiler. Uh it's not uh, none of this is a spoiler. He's a major character, right? There's no way to avoid it. But I um, hope that
2: I hope Yoga Hose just like spins off a series that, that we get like Pilates douche nozzles or whatever comes next. Like <laughs> that this is just a whole new era for Kevin Smith starting with yeah, if he just search.
0: wants to rag on Canada for the rest of his years, I'm totally fine with that. He, Their national anthem is not as good as everybody says it is. Oh. It's, not, it's
2: definitely not as good he, as what Matt Passion says. Here's rag. what I really
1: want to end on. Uh, Joanna, Dave, David, probably not David, but did anyone watch wow. Reaper? Yeah. I watched the
3: pilot episode with Kevin Smith at Comic-Con. Wow. <laughs> While
2: he... Were, you were It sleeping. was terrible.
3: <laughs> Reaper is a good show. Reaper I love is how a you very... say
2: with Kevin Smith as if like he was sitting next to you. Cheryl. No, no on he was, David he was it was in the room <laughs> blowing me. Wow. <laughs> and you I still hated it. with Kevin Smith
1: uh reaper was a good show and i don't understand why kevin smith i mean it wasn't a very kevin smith show i think he kind of came in to try his hand at directing television and being a consultant or producer but it seems like the obvious place for him to be i love i loved when kevin smith showed up
2: on veronica mars that was delightful to me
0: i'm gonna say it'd be out of my i don't know Element? Persona oh. to not mention that Kevin Smith's Daredevil and Kevin Smith's Spider-Man Arc were both excellent. so if he just wants to go write comics, so I'm he also seemed, yeah, he's, that. he's good at a lot of things besides uh, making movies he's, he's fine at writing, but not for himself. He was great in catch and release. Oh my God
1: he he likes <laughs>
2: shorts. And hockey jerseys. <laughs> yes, We're just does. saying truths about. Kevin He keeps down, that right? industry. P.S. He was lot. really great in Catch and Release. <laughs> wow, he
3: does tell a funny story about <laughs> uh, about working with Timothy Oliphant and how Timothy Oliphant had no time for his shit. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I found amusing.
1: Live free or die hard. Remember when he played Warlock?
0: <laughs> I do. I think-
1: I think we're done here. Hey, he was I on re- Phineas and Ferb.
0: I read uh, Silent well, Boss around in Brussels from about in 7 p.m. till 3 a.m. Because I could not sleep in a hostel.
2: Yeah, but was Kevin Smith blowing him?
1: Well, that's it for this week's Fighting in the War Room, why don't we tell people who we are?
0: Well, my name is Dave Gonzalez. that's D-A-V-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S, my Twitter handle is D-A-7-E, but if you want to look for me at...
1: Hit the brakes. You're not going by Dave with a 7? Did you Well,
0: it's weird and split, so if you're somebody like A.O. Scott and thinks that only adults get to have opinions then you should go to I Love Dave Gonzalez or I Hate Dave Gonzalez, and you'll see my things for, like, Forbes or outlets that, uh, you know, are legitimate outlets. Whereas if you want to follow me on DA7E, I mostly talk about Star Wars and superhero movies, which are not adult things and therefore are bad. I don't like uh, splitting
1: your personas. This is unhealthy.
0: It's going to be a difficult time for all of us. Also, but in you the could...
1: future, everyone will have a number in their name, so you're ahead. You're
0: more of an adult you're really stepping on this segment that's supposed to be all about where people can find me, oh. but you could find all of us arguing like we do at FightingInTheWarRoom.com. That's where you can find all our back episodes. Some people are like, why aren't they all on the feed? Because they're all on the website. We want you to go there. Go there now. This is me. Yes. <laughs> Hi. I Me.
2: But like from another room. Me. Is this me? Uh, I...
1: <laughs> me. Hey, me?
3: <laughs> I'm... I'm David Erlich. I am the editor of Little White Lies Magazine. Uh, Our new issue on Maps to the Stars is now on store shelves in finer bookstores and other retailers. Uh, Periodical retailers. Yeah, you can find me at David Erlich and at Criterion Corner. And you can find all of us together forever, friends forever, on Facebook at Fighting and Wolves. My name is Joanna
2: Robinson. You can find me most days on vanityfair.com. Uh, I do another TV-centric podcast called The Station Agents, or you can follow me on Twitter at JoeWroteThis. Uh, as for calling, I don't know. Don't call us, we'll call you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can call us at 914-410-6450, and please leave us a short sample of what song you think should be the new <laughs> national anthem. Yes, ooh.
1: Uh And I am Matt Patches. I write all over the place, and I put it all on mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at... Mr. Patches, and I'm actually holding a copy of Little White Lies, the new issue right now, and it is quite beautiful. I'll give David that. Uh, and we are on Twitter, the whole podcast, at com.
0: Can we spell that, right. spell that spell that acronym? There we go. There we go. Yes. That's
1: so you can answer the lightning round question. You can yell at us about what happened in this episode or contribute. We're, we're, we're watching that feed. Um, and speaking of the lightning round question, Dave, what was
0: it again? In honor of Maze Runner, what puzzling movie only made sense to you the second, third, fourth, etc. time you watched it? That's it for this
1: week. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.
2: Me? me, me, me,
0: me, me, me,
1: me. My, my turn.
2: My, my. <laughs> my, 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 my. my?